uh, drop back with me to chapter 3, as I want to kind of just set the tone for what Paul is doing in chapter 4. So drop back with me to chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 21. It says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, it comes, he says, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Move up to verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Stop right there. So after the first two and a half chapters here in Romans, uh, Paul, as you know, has been explaining in detail that everyone is sinful, that the, the entirety of humanity is completely depraved. He spent two and a half chapters talking about that. He now finally comes to these verses that I just read, and he speaks on the fact that salvation, or if you will, justification, is still available but it is through the grace of God, and it is through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why did Paul decide to share this? Well, number one is somewhat obvious, because it is the message of salvation, because it is the gospel. What he shared is the good news of Jesus Christ. But number two is because the Jews struggled with this. Remember, there are Jews and Gentiles here in the church of Rome, okay? But the Jews struggled with this. The Jews had been told their entire lives something different. They were taught that circumcision gave them entrance into heaven. They were told that being a physical descendant of Abraham did the same thing. And of course, that being called God's chosen people, once again, guaranteed their eternal destiny. Well, Paul, of course, debunked all that in chapter 2, and then as I just read here in chapter 3, he made it very clear that salvation has nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with works, but he says it rested solely on faith, and of course, that is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you notice there while I was reading, it said that, uh, Paul said that redemption came through Jesus. It says that he was the sacrifice of atonement or the propitiation. And it was also his blood that was shared. You see, folks, salvation cannot be earned by anybody. You'll notice that Jesus did all those things. Salvation is never earned by anyone. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. In chapter 3, verse 23, a verse that many of us know, it says that for all have sinned, everybody, 
And because of that, he says, all of us fall short of the glory of God. Well, Paul now takes this truth about faith that he mentioned in those verses, and he takes it into chapter 4, and he uses this as an illustration of Abraham. Now, why Abraham? Well, because you know his audience at this point, he's trying to speak specifically to the Jews, okay? And so, for the Jews, who is the greatest of all patriarchs? That, of course, is Abraham. But in their mind, <clears throat> excuse me, in their mind, proof that justification, Abraham was proof that justification was through the works of the law. That's what they believed. Okay? I've shared with you previously, probably about a month ago, how many of the rabbis in the early first century uh, would change some of the Old Testament text. Instead of saying Abraham's faith, which is what the text said, they would alter it to say Abraham's faithfulness. Matter of fact, in one of the apocryphal books, which is called Ecclesiasticus, these are written to the Jews as well, it said Abraham was right with God, but it wasn't because of his faith. It said it was because of his obedience. They were always taught something different. They were taught, even used the scriptures to teach them something that wasn't biblically true, but it fit the Jewish mantra. We must live by works. We must live by the law, just like our great forefather Abraham did. Well, Paul now is going to burst their bubble by sharing once again that justification has always been by faith and that even includes Abraham. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 4, we looked at verses 1 through 5. And because it's actually been about three weeks since we were there, I thought I would read those verses again, okay? So look with me, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. In other words, that's what is due him. Verse 5, however, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. <clears throat> now, as you can imagine, any Jew, even the believer, even the believing Jew, loves to discuss Abraham. Paul, of course, knows that, and therefore, he begins chapter 4 with a question about Abraham. What does he say? He says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Or you can also say, what did Abraham find out? Okay. Now, hopefully, when you read that, first thing that comes to your mind is, find out about what? What's he talking about? Well, all you have to do is simply back up, and for the last 11 verses, which are chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, okay, it was all, all those verses was about how to have a right relationship with God. 
And therefore, as he moves into chapter 4, verse 1, the question is, what did Abraham find out about how to have a right relationship with God? What did Abraham find out? What did he know? What did he experience? That's the question. Well, in those 11 verses, we all know what, what Paul said, right? I mean, I read him to you. It was all about faith, 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 faith. He mentions faith eight different times in those 11 verses. But what about Abraham, though, as the question says? What, did, what about him? Well, you're going to have to wait a minute until we answer that. But first, look at verse 2 again. He says, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works... Now, remember, this is what the Jews believed. Okay? He, this is why he's saying this. This is what the Jews were taught. So he's saying, well, if it's true that Abraham was justified by works then he had something to boast about, but not before God. So Paul is saying here, if it was true, and of course it's not, but if it was true that Abraham was justified, that he was saved through his own good works, he says his only boasting is going to be before man. That's it, right? In other words, that's not going to fly with God, okay? Remember, after saying that justification was by faith, remember I just read all those verses? After saying that justification was by faith, Paul followed that up in chapter 3, verse 27. He said, where then is boasting? He just got through talking about faith and faith and faith, right? Where then is boasting? And he answers his own question. He says, it is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? And what does he say? No, but on that of faith. There is no boasting when you're saved by faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So with faith, he says, there's nothing there. there there's nothing to boast about. Justification is for the glory of God, not man. If you think that you can boast about your good works... That's only going to work with, you know, your buddies at work or your, your, your neighbors or your friends because verse 27 just said boasting is excluded because true salvation is through faith alone in Jesus Christ, okay? Now, here is where he brings us back to Abraham. Notice verse 3. Notice the question he asks in verse 3. Paul says, what does the Scripture say? That's a question that every one of us needs to ask on any topic, on any subject matter. What does the Bible say? Right? Because that's all that matters. Right? And so what he does here is Abraham quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. What does the Scripture say? And so he answers it. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? Now, obviously, as you know, quoting the Scripture is the most important point. What does the Scripture say? Not what tradition says, because Jews held a lot about tradition. Not, uh, not speaking on behalf of some rabbi, because Lord knows they quoted a lot of rabbis. But he says, what does God himself have to say? Because that is the, always the ultimate authority, nothing else. So Paul goes right to it. What does God have to say? Secondly, Scripture says it right there. 
He says, Abraham believed. Notice that? He's talking to these Jews. He knows what they believe. He is a Jew. What does the Bible say? Abraham believed, right? He was declared righteous because of his faith in God. And lastly, I I love that he quotes Genesis, okay? Genesis, as you know, is the very first book of the Bible. He's going back as far as you want to go to the very beginning. And what is he saying? Even in the book of Genesis, which means beginning, right? He says salvation has always been by faith. Even in the book of Genesis, salvation has always been by faith. And listen, folks, this really must have been an important issue for a lot of these people to hear because Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 is quoted here in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. It's quoted later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It's also quoted in James chapter 2, verse 23. If you remember, James was also written to Jews that were scattered among the nations. It's obviously something that the first century Jews needed to hear. Even for those who profess Christ, they struggle with this issue because they've been taught it their entire lives, especially about patriarchs like Abraham, who they said was saved because of his obedience. Look what he says here in verse 3. He says, because Abraham believed, right? It says, God imputed righteousness to his account. Or if you will, it says he credited. He took righteousness, if you will, and he credited to the account of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to go through this again, but we discussed what imputation is earlier on in chapter 3, verse 21. So whether it's you and me or whether it's a great like Abraham... He's saying here it had to be imputed righteousness because we have none of our own to give. There's nothing we can do to stand before God and say, look how righteous I am. Look how righteous or look at the things of how righteous I've done. There is none. That's why righteousness has to be imputed. That's why when you go back in verse 21 and 22, it says this righteousness is from God. God gave us his righteousness through faith. We don't have any of our own, okay? So it doesn't matter who you are, even if your name is Abraham, that righteousness must be imputed, and it's going to be by faith, because that's where it all started, right? It says Abraham believed, okay? Matter of fact, right here in our same chapter, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says Abraham is the father of all who believe. Okay? Physically, okay, physically, Abraham is the forefather of the Jews as well as the Arabs. You know that, right? Remember, he had Isaac and who else? Ishmael, right? Abraham is the father of the Jews and the Arabs, but spiritually speaking, and we know that's what matters, right? He's the father of the believers, the believing Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, those who believe are children of Abraham. Okay? It's not just about what the Jews always claim, well, we're children of Abraham. 
He says that's, that's not the point. It's those who believe who are actually the children of Abraham. All right, let's pick up from there this morning, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 11 as we continue in our text. Notice what it says. David, he says, this is King David, says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And here's what David said. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Verse 9, in this blessedness, I'm sorry, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? It was not after, it was before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Now, as we drop back to verse 6, you're going to see here that Paul really does know his audience. As I mentioned a minute ago, Paul is a Jew himself, right? He knows what he's doing here, okay? He began this whole point in chapter 4, verse 1, by using the patriarch Abraham. And then, of course, he also went straight to the Old Testament scriptures and spoke from Genesis, right? <clears throat> Once again, he's dealing with the struggles that the Jews were having, speaking to the Jews that were in the church, okay? So he went to Abraham, and they went to the Old Testament scriptures. He's now going to keep this up by quoting the greatest or close, if not the greatest, king of Israel, King David, okay? But before we read that quote, what does he say in verse 6? Well, he begins with the words, David said the same thing. Now, he's obviously talking about what he just got through saying in verse 5, right? So I'll read verse 5 for you. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, now listen to what it says, his faith is credited as righteousness. Let me say that again. His faith was credited as righteousness. And then it goes right into verse 6. David says the same thing. If you will, David agrees when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness. What does he say? Apart from works. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says that David spoke on how God credits righteousness apart from works. In other words, by his faith. Okay? And now to make his point, now he quotes David. He quotes him. Now he's going to quote Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. 
Okay, we're going to read verses 7 and 8, but he's quoting Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. What did David say? Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So what is Paul's point here? He's saying, just like Abraham, who was declared righteous for his faith, right? He says that King David agrees, right? What did it say in verse 6? He agrees that righteousness is apart from works, right? That's what it said, and it said David agrees with that. He agrees that righteousness is apart from works. So both verses 7 and 8 are basically saying the exact same thing. They're saying how blessed, how great, how awesome it is when the Lord forgives one's sins, when he will never count those sins against him. Folks, if there is anyone out there who understood the grace and the mercy of God, it was David. Okay, And he understood, David understood that it wasn't this grace, this mercy, this forgiveness, it wasn't imparted to him because of any good works that he has done. David's hope was not, in, was not resting in his good deeds outweighing his bad. Matter of fact, right here in verse 7, David wrote it. He said, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. And listen, folks, when David says blessed is the man, he's talking about others, but he's also talking about himself. He knows this personally. He knows how blessed it is to be forgiven. Now, understand that that word forgiven, it means very simply to remove someone's sins. Well, Mark chapter 2, verse 10 It says, only the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. In other words, forgiveness, this is important, folks, forgiveness comes from Him. Forgiveness comes from the Lord. Okay? I personally, you personally, David personally, can't cancel sins from doing some kind of good deeds. He just said it must come from the Lord. We can't do something that's just going to somehow take an eraser to our sins. Good works and then forgiveness do not mesh. They're opposed to one another. See, he said it must come from the Lord. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Come on, Darren. Slow moving here. All right, Psalm 51. We're going to read David's account of humbling himself before God where he sought forgiveness. Why? 
you might remember, he was confronted by the prophet Nathan after his uh, tryst, if you will, with Bathsheba, and then, of course, the killing of her husband, Uriah. Notice what it says. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, okay? Notice in here, you don't hear David talk about all his good deeds and his works. Lord, look at everything that I've done, all right? Pay attention to that. Look what he says. Starting verse 1, have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. One commentator says this, David knew When you read that, David knew that only God, important words, David knew that only God could purify his heart. Only God could wash away the sins and blot out his iniquities. Only God could create in him a pure heart and deliver him from the guilt and the sin that produced it. David knew that only God could do that. And you can see that as you read that, as he understood his sin and as he went before the Lord begging for forgiveness from God. Only the hand of God can forgive him of those things and declare him righteous. Now, going back to our text, Paul is quoting, don't go back that fast, I caught you. <laughs> Psalm 32, David, Paul is quoting Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. I think to get a better feel, I want to go back and read that as well. I'm just going to add a couple of verses on. Go back to Psalm 32. First two verses are what I quoted from Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But I want to read the next three as well. Because it, it really helps better in the context. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, when I read verses 3 through 5, I think this could certainly, we don't know for sure, but this could certainly apply to what I just read in Psalm 51. It can certainly apply to David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What does he say? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Once again, who did he go to for forgiveness? He went to God. He forgave him. He trusted in him. Never once in there or anywhere else do you say, Lord, I've done some really good things to match up against my bad. He just simply goes to the Lord. I confess these to you, Lord. I'm a sinner. I've screwed up. Please forgive me. He says, you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Speaking on both of those accounts, Psalm 32 as well as Psalm 51, John Murray says this, he says, for what is contemplated in this pronouncement is not good works, but it's the opposite. It's iniquities and sins, right? David didn't bring forth his good works. He brought forth his iniquities and sins. And the blessed man is not the man who has good works laid at his account, but whose sins are not laid at his account. David's religion, therefore, was not one was not one determined by the concept of good works, but that of the gracious remission of sin and the blessedness regarded as the epitome of divine favor had no affinity with that secured by works of merit. The bottom line, folks, is the Jews as well as the Gentiles in the church of Rome, which is who Paul is writing to, Okay. Paul is saying Abraham was justified by faith. That also means not works. David, he says, was justified by faith. And if you want to go back to chapter 3, every person on the planet who has ever been born again, who has ever been justified, was done so by faith. Everyone. Chapter 3, verse 22, it says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What a great argument uh, that he has given so far in dealing with the issue of faith. Right? We use that term, solo fide. What does that mean? Faith alone. Faith alone. Now, from there, we move into verses 9 and following, where Paul, once again, now listen, he's still dealing with the Jews. He's still dealing with some of the issues that the Jews are struggling with, okay? This time, he's going to bring in the rite of circumcision. And to make his point even clearer, 
he's going to stick with Abraham as his main character. He believes if he can prove his point using the great patriarch Abraham, just as he did in the previous verses, it will put to death any other discussion. Okay? It will be simply close case. Okay? So read with me the first half here of verse 9. He says, is this blessedness? Now, remember what he just said in verses 7 and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will never count against him. So the question is, is this blessedness that he's talking about? He says, is it only for the circumcised? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? Now, by the way, Paul's not, uh, Paul's throwing that out. He's going to answer it. He's not curious. He knows it. He wants to prove the point. Okay? Now, you might remember, folks, that Paul mentioned this whole issue of circumcision earlier on in chapter 2. Okay? So I'm going to make you turn your Bibles once again. Basically, turn back one page, probably. Turn back to chapter 2. Starting in verse 25, he said, Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Now listen to what he says in verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew, that is a true Jew, a real Jew, if he is one, what does it say? Inwardly. Circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. He says it is by the Holy Spirit. It is not by the written code. So Paul makes it clear here that physical circumcision does not make you a true Jew. He says it is a circumcision of the heart. He says it is God's Spirit doing surgery, a spiritual surgery on your heart. And that, of course, is Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. One does not have to be physically circumcised in order to have a circumcision of the heart, right? Which he says is done by the Holy Spirit. And so to answer Paul's question at the beginning of verse 9, salvation, this blessedness, is for the Jew or the Gentile. It's for the circumcised or the uncircumcised. Okay? But Paul is asking that question for a particular reason, okay? The Jews believed that their obedience to being circumcised made them righteous, okay? Let me say that again. My obedience, the Jews would say, to being circumcised made me righteous. That's what they believed, okay? Folks, the Jews put a lot of stock into circumcision. Yes, there's no doubt, it absolutely was a command of God for the Jewish men, okay? 
And so they had to get it done. But, but they kept looking past what it meant. It was certainly a unique mark for God's chosen people, okay? And they held that it actually made them right with God. That's the problem. They took it so far past it. It was, it was a unique mark that separated them from all other nations. But they held that it made them right with God. Salvation was theirs as long as they were circumcised. I'll read a couple quotes from you. I mentioned them previously. Rabbi Menachem, he wrote this, and I quote, Our rabbis have said that no circumcised man will ever see hell. Unquote. I'm going to torture this, but in the book of Akadeth Jizaka, don't do well in my Hebrew, it taught this, and I quote, Abraham sits at the gate of hell and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should ever enter there. Wow. Do you see where this is going? Do you see where this kind of stuff is going? This is what these people were taught their entire lives. Okay? This is why Paul, by the way, had to warn so many other churches about this whole issue. They had to watch people like the Judaizers. You've heard me talk about them before. The Judaizers would, would go in and teach churches, well, you know, this Christianity thing is okay, but you still got to obey the law of Moses and you still got to be circumcised. Okay? Matter of fact, this was such a big to-do that even in the early church, many were asking, is, is this true? Because they were confused. There was so much of this going around in the church, they were going, is this really true? Therefore, what happened? Most of us know in Acts chapter 15, what we typically call the Jerusalem Council, okay, the question was brought up and the apostles and the church leaders got together to discuss this whole issue. And I'm not going to get into it all, but of course the answer did come down that circumcision and obedience to the law was not required for salvation. Okay? But as Paul, as dealing with it here in Romans chapter 4, Paul is using circumcision as a contrast to his main point, which is faith. Salvation, being justified, being declared righteous, it's not by circumcision. He says it's by faith. See, notice the second half of verse 9. He says, we have been saying that Abraham's faith, simply meaning it wasn't circumcision. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he's telling them circumcision did not make Abraham righteous. Faith did. Abraham's faith did. Abraham was declared righteous based <clears throat> on what he believed. Just like it said earlier in chapter 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But I like this part. To make his point even stronger... In other words, this is going to be even harder for the Jews to deny. Look at what he says in verse 10. Paul says, under what circumstances was it credited? What, what, under what circumstances was Abraham's righteousness credited? That's what it means. 
Under what circumstances was it credited? He asked another question. Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? What did he say? It was not after, but before. Folks, this, this statement literally just blows the lid off of this. Okay? If this is true, and of course it is, but if this is true, for all intensive purposes, Abraham was no different than a Gentile when he was declared righteous. Think about that for a second if you're a Jew. Abraham was no different than a Gentile when he was declared righteous. This definitely answered the question, from verse 9, right? We know what the answer there is. And Paul was able to use Abraham as an example that someone can be justified but not circumcised. And of all people, he chose Abraham, the greatest of the patriarch if you're a Jew. And he proves the point by using him. You can be righteous in the sight of God, receive His righteousness, even if you've never been circumcised. Matter of fact, he, he pretty much lays this all out in our final verse, verse 11. It says, and he received, meaning Abraham, and Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he, Abraham, is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteous might be righteousness might be credited to him <laughs> that said so much the jew had to be sitting there with his mouth just hanging low what because they've always been taught something different they always struggled and he just took them to the scriptures what look at what, what does it say what does it say about abraham's faith what does it say about abraham's circumcision Folks, the Jews loved to point out that they were children of Abraham, especially the Jewish leaders. Go to the Gospels, and you'll see that all the time. We are children of Abraham. But as we've learned, that may be true, but it doesn't make any spiritual difference, does it? None whatsoever. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. He's dealing with some of these Jews. He says to these Jews, Jewish leaders actually, he says, do not think that you can just say to yourselves, oh, well, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus tells them, he says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. <laughs> I can get children of Abraham out of these rocks right here. But they thought it was so special. We are children of Abraham. They use that all the time. And Jesus basically said, and so, these are my words, so? <laughs> so what? What mattered is what verse 11 said. Abraham is the father of all who believe. Sure, I'm glad you obeyed God 
when he said, be circumcised, but that ain't going to save you. It doesn't make you righteous. That's great that you can be called one of the chosen ones, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. It's awesome that you can trace your lineage all the way back to Abraham. That's pretty cool. I'm sure you have some good conversations about that. But what matters is that you follow Abraham in his faith. You follow him in the fact that he believed. Lay aside all the things that you've been taught. Lay aside the, the rabbis, the rabbinical traditions that would all these lies. Abraham stands at the gate of hell. No circumcised Israelite will ever enter there. And Paul basically says, well, that's baloney. And he proves it to them using their own Jewish scriptures, using the greatest of all, Abraham. Abraham. And even King David. People they respected highly in the Jewish communities. Let's go ahead and we'll close right there. Father, thank you, Lord, that we were able to go through this text today. And thank you as we continue uh, our study to go verse by verse through this great book. There's so much to be said, Lord. We know that this is the most theological book of the New Testament. And Lord, it's amazing that even in the early church, so many people still struggled with past beliefs, things that were passed down to their forefathers, to their parents, and to them. And they may have even taught their kids, but now they, they've come to be a part of the church, but they still have a struggle with the things they've once believed. But thank you, Lord, that we can look at the Scriptures just like they did. We can go back to the Old Testament just like they could and see what do you have to say. As I said earlier, the greatest question that, that we can ask is, what does the Scriptures say? Or what do the Scriptures say? Lord, thank you that we have those to go to. We have your word. We can go back. We can understand what truth is because you've told us. It's explained here to us. And so, Lord, thank you that we have had this opportunity to to grasp this, to look at this today. And I know for some people here, this might be a no-brainer. Yeah, I know these things. But, Lord, help us to have an understanding of what they've gone through in the past, what they deal with, and for that matter, even how people deal with these struggles today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.